0: Bible reading this morning is from the book of uh, Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 1 through to 14, and I'll be reading from the NIV version with my sunglasses on. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the Holy Place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning this is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings external regulations applying until the time of the new order But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood May serve the living God.
1: So, if it's not um, sunglasses, it's birthday shirts. We've all got things we've got to do today. that reading was from the commentary on Leviticus. That's the way Hebrews seems to work at this part. So if you keep your notices in Hebrews 9, we will want to come back there. We also want to dip into Mark 15 at some point too. So just keep that in mind if you're not a very quick Bible flipper. But if you can turn back to Leviticus, that's where we'll, we'll start off. So how about I pray for us as where you think about Leviticus chapter 16. Heavenly Father thank you that you have given us your word. Lord we pray that as we think about this chapter now we ask that you would grow our appreciation of everything you've done for us through your son through Jesus. Amen. When I had my first car I got myself in a bit of a, a bit of a awkward position. I managed to put the car into the neighbor's house and damage the drain pipe. It's not if you think about it it's not that easy to do. Um, A picture might help. We did have three cars sharing the one driveway and I was trying to manoeuvre around my brother's Mini. They were configured differently to the photo. And I, yeah, damaged the downpipe. Very awkward. It's something I had to make amends for. I had to make atonement for it, didn't I? And that was an awkward thing to do, to walk up to the neighbour, Ken, and say, look, I've um, damaged a gutter. I mean, what was I doing in his driveway? very awkward, and then I had to try and fix the thing. And the guilt kind of lingered because, well, Ken was a very quiet kind of person, man of few words, and so I never really knew if he accepted my apology or if he thought the repair job was sufficient. So the guilt lingered on. It's a silly little example, but we've all found ourselves in positions where we we need to make amends. We need to make up for what we've done Um, over things that are far more significant than downpipes. So with that in mind, we can all relate to Leviticus chapter 16. In Leviticus chapter 16, what's happening is you've got this description of how people make amends or are atoned for before God. It's it's looking at our sin and our guilt before God and how that could be atoned for. And as you look at um, Leviticus chapter 16, it makes us think about our sinfulness, before a holy and a righteous God. And it points us ahead to the way in which Jesus has made amends, has atoned for our sin. Leviticus 16 causes us to reflect on the cross of Christ, his sacrifice in our place. And so when you're looking at a passage like this, it's the perfect time to think about where you're at with God. And so at the end of the sermon, you can see if you've got a sermon outline in front of you, we'll pray this simple prayer. Um, I'll invite you to pray it silently in your own heart to God. It's a simple prayer that says three things. It says sorry to God. It says thank you to God for Jesus. And it says please, please forgive me. And please help me live for Jesus. It's a kind of prayer that cuts to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's the kind of prayer that you pray to become a Christian. It's the kind of prayer that we as Christians pray as we confess our sins to God. So that's where we'll finish up. But we'll start by thinking about this Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, this day of atonement. The word atonement is one that Christians have introduced to the, the English language and it's everywhere now to make up for, to make amends for is the kind of way we think, um, like saying sorry for driving into your, your downpipe and then making uh, atonement by fixing it. But in, a, in the Bible, atonement its a bit bigger than that, isn't it? It's a word that pulls together bigger ideas if you want to get all nerdy about it, it pulls together expiation, the idea of taking away our sin, the idea of propitiation, appeasing God's anger at our sin, atoning for, making amends for what we've done, taking away our sin and appeasing God's wrath. That's what we think of when we use the word atonement. And if you've been in Sunday school, you know the nice, simple Sunday school definition of atonement atonement, being made at one with God again. Not very complicated when you think about it like that. But what we have in Leviticus chapter 16 are God's instructions through Moses for how Aaron the high priest is to make atonement for his own sin and for the sin of all the people. And so if you look at chapter 16, um, verse 30, that's where the chapter's headed. That's where this whole exercise is headed. Verse 30 says, on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you then before the Lord you'll be clean from all your sins. That's what the Day of Atonement is all about, being made clean from your sin. But come back to the way the chapter starts, because at the top of the chapter, chapter 16, verse 1, the question hanging in the air is, is it even possible to come towards God? Is it even possible to approach him? So in 16, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the, on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. What's that saying? Well, it's saying you can't stroll into God's presence. You cannot approach God on your terms. And that's the overwhelming message you, you saw in chapters 1 to 10. You cannot approach God on your terms. Nobody approaches God on their own terms. Back in chapter 10, you read about Aaron's two sons. They offered, it says, offered fire in an unauthorized way and they were burned up. You do not approach God on your terms. It's no small thing to come in and to approach the holy God. That was chapters 1 to 10. And then in chapters 10 to 15 last week, you saw all those rules, these constant reminders that as human beings... We're unclean. And so chapter 15, verse 31 finishes with, you must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. Um, The Sinai Desert, it's a long way away from where we are. This period of time is a long time ago. And it's easy for us to forget that the God being described here in Leviticus is the same God that we worship. God hasn't changed. It's right and it's fitting for us to read Leviticus again and again and let it sink in and appreciate just what a huge deal it is to approach the living God. And we, we cannot approach God on our own terms, chapters 1 to 10. And we, by default, we're unclean, we're unworthy of coming to God. God. In chapters 11 to 15. So on the Day of Atonement, God graciously provided a way for sin to be atoned for. But as we look at this part of the Old Testament, we need to keep in mind that we're reading this from the New Testament perspective. We've actually got um, Hebrews in mind. Hebrews 9, chapter 8, that David read for us. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. So We'll come back to Hebrews chapter 9, like I said, but as we read all these instructions about the Day of Atonement, of Atonement, we know that the Holy Spirit is teaching us access to God is restricted. That's what we're being taught. And so with that in mind, have a look at what happens on this Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, Yom Day, Kippur, we translate that as Atonement. In the last verse, verse 34, it says this Atonement would be, Day of Atonement would be celebrated Annually, and in chapter three, you, as it, uh, rather in chapter twenty-three, as it lists all the um, festivals and so on, the Day of Atonement is among them on the tenth day of the seventh month. So six months after the Passover, every year, the, the Israelites would go through this process of observing the Day of Atonement. It was like this annual kind of reset, this annual spring cleaning—not just the atonement of the people's sin but the spring cleaning of the tabernacle, the place where all the interaction with God would happen. So you see that down in verse 16, 16 verse 16. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place. Make atonement for that place where God dwells. In other words, make it clean, clear it out. Um, In this way, he'll make atonement, verse 16, for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and the rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness and the same things reflected in verse 33 Yom Kippur was a day of cleansing for the sins of the people the sins of the priests and the tabernacle this interaction place this tent of meeting and as you think about it you think about how this is all set up way way back God saves the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt through no nothing that they deserved they didn't earn it he did that out of, out of faithfulness to a promise he made to Abraham in Genesis 12. He brings his people through the desert, brings them across the, 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 the ocean or the sea rather, surrounds, gets them around Mount Sinai, thousands of them, and then tells them how to live as his people. And then from then on, every time these people set up their camp, that's how it looked. We'll get, we'll get to this when we go through numbers in a few weeks' time. There was this tabernacle, this tent of meeting in the middle of the camp. All the tribes arrayed around God, this, this place where you meet with God, this tent of meeting and the priests around between the, the tribes and the tabernacle. And then when you look at this, this tabernacle itself, it's, it's got the outer courtyard where the people would come in. Then you've got the, the holy place where the priest would go in and offer sacrifices and out again. And then you've got the most holy place where one priest would go once a year on this day of atonement. But can you, can you see the picture? Thousands of people around this tent of meeting where you can't actually get into the most holy place. Remember Hebrews 9, what it's teaching? The way into God's presence, it, you can't do it. The people, they could enter the outer courtyard. The priest would go in and out of that outer holy, the the, the holy place offering sacrifices for the people. You saw all the sacrifices back in, in the first 10 chapters, the smoke offerings, the sin offerings, the fellowship offerings. But it was only on the Day of Atonement once a year that one man, the high priest, could enter the most holy place. And in order to do that, well, you look across this chapter, he had to follow strict procedures. There was procedures to follow to be able to come into God's presence like that. So as you look at 16 verses 1 to 10, it gives you the overview of the chapter. Um, One man, Aaron, the high priest, and his sons after him, could enter the most holy place once a year. Verse 3, he had to bring a young bull and a ram as burnt offerings. In verse uh, 4, he had to wash himself and wear particular robes in order to enter into the most holy place. He then had to bring sacrifices for the people, two male goats and a ram. And each year, the the same procedure, the same ritual would be followed. After Aaron dies, his son would become the high priest and follow the exact same ritual, all the while remembering, 16 verse 1, what happened to Aaron's sons when they didn't follow the rules. Um, Verse 6, when he's in the tent of meeting, Aaron offers the bull for his own sin and the sin of his family. Um, Verses 7 to 8, he takes the two goats and he casts lots between them. One is offered to Yahweh, and the other, as they've described before, is taken out and sent off as a scapegoat after they've laid hands on it and symbolically put the sin of the people on this goat. Verse 10, the scapegoat um, gets sent out into the desert, taking away the sin of the people. Um, That's the overview of this this day of atonement, what do you learn from it well here's a few things I think you can learn from it. Firstly, the people of Israel they couldn't atone for their own sin they couldn't fix the drain pipe they can't fix what they've done. Someone else does it for them. The people could only look on and watch as the priest goes through this process um, and that's not very Australian, is it? I mean, we want to get in there and fix our own mess. We're very proud people. We want we want to deal with what we've created. But one thing you can't do is atone for your sin before God. Someone else does that. I think another thing you can learn as you look at these procedures: um, life needs to be given, blood needs to be shed to atone for sin. And here it's a bull, a ram, a couple of goats sacrifice to atone for sin there's no way around it something has to die um, a third thing i think you can learn from this and that none of us without sin even the priest who goes through this ritual he has to offer a sacrifice for his own sin none of us uh, without sin and maybe a fourth thing you could learn from this our sinner just messes up everything I mean, this, this tent of meeting, this holy place, this most holy place had to be spring cleaned every year because of the sin of the people making it unclean. Our sin just makes a mess of the place. So in verse um, 11 to 28, what you see there is the details, the blow by blow. Um, first, Aaron, what he does is he makes a sacrifice for his own sin. So in verse 11, Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin. Um, dealing with sin it requires blood the priest needs to do that for his own sins and then next Aaron prepares the tent of meeting so in verses 12 to 13 he takes the burnt coals from the altar and finely ground incense sets up this kind of smoke screen I think it is so that as he comes into God's presence he doesn't actually see what's happening as he approaches God in verses 12 to 13 because otherwise he'll die Um, Then in verse 14, once the smoke screen is established, he goes in, sprinkles blood all over the atonement cover over the the ark in the most holy place. And then he comes out and he slaughters the goat for the sin offering for the people in verse 15. Then he goes back in behind the curtain, sprinkles its blood um, in the same places, just like he did the bull's blood. And here's Aaron offering sacrifices for sin, preparing the most holy place to be used as the place to meet with God. He sprinkles blood all around the tent of meeting as well and over the altar. And then in verse 20, we come to the scapegoat. So verse 20, when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and the rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all the sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. It's this symbolic transferring of sin and sending it away. Offerings were made to appease God's anger, his righteous anger at sin, and sin has been sent away, taken away. Atonement is made. And each year, they'd go through this. Um, There's more details, but you get the picture, don't you? In 16 verse 30, this is what it's about. On this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, before Yahweh, you'll be clean from all your sins. Yom Kippur, it was a means of symbolically atoning for the people, making them clean. But surely, once you've been camped in this camp, moving around the desert, Surely once you've observed the day of atonement and everything that happens the first time, maybe the second time, surely you're thinking in the back of your mind, why do we have to keep doing this? Why doesn't it work? Sin's still everywhere. And I think that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants you to understand. So come back to Hebrews 9. So this is now turning to the commentary on Leviticus. Hebrews 9 is where we put Jesus back in the picture. Um, When you look across Hebrews 9 that was read for us in verses 1 to 5, you've got the recap of how the tabernacle was set up. And as you read through those five verses, you you see Leviticus 16. And then it comes to verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer court to carry on their ministry, offering all the sorts of sacrifices from Leviticus 1 to 10. But only the high priest entered the inner room, the most holy place, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit, verse 8, was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This constant reminder, you cannot come into God's presence. You're unclean. Verse 9, this is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the consciences of the worshipper. Yeah, sure, it appeased God's wrath. It kind of reset things for another year, but didn't deal with the real problem behind it all. So the Old Testament Day of Atonement was a constant reminder for the people, free access to God is not possible. But then in Jesus, that all changes. Jesus didn't go through rituals in a tent in a desert. He didn't go through rituals in a temple in Jerusalem. His way is much better. So you come down to Hebrews 9 verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. And it talks about when Moses built the tabernacle or, or the tent, it had to be done according to the exact instructions God gave because it was the shadow, the copy, the reflection of the real tabernacle, God's presence. And so Hebrews 9, reading on from verse 12... He did not enter by means of the blood of goats. Jesus didn't enter the real tabernacle by blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences. From acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Just let those verses sink in. It is huge. It's amazing what Jesus has done. We can stand before the creator God, the same God that you see in Leviticus. We can stand before him without even feeling guilty because of Jesus' death in our place. Um, so what we can learn from Leviticus, it still applies. Firstly, you can't approach God on your terms. It's got to be God's way. Secondly, you can't atone for your sins. Someone else does. It's Jesus. And thirdly, that atonement requires blood. And in Jesus, you've got the, the solution, the answer, the better way. So keep a finger in Hebrews and have a look at how Mark's gospel records Jesus' death because you see all echoes of this. You've got Leviticus behind. It all makes sense. So when you come to Mark, 15 verse 33, we'll pick it up there. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So as Jesus dies, weird stuff happens. Everything goes dark for three hours or so. At three in the, verse 34, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put her on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And then verse 37, with a loud voice, Jesus breathed his last. Verse 38, you do this cut scene. You look across at the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 38, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You think about the significance of that. This most holy place of the temple just reflected the tabernacle, the same structure, same setup. That curtain that blocking access to where God is, it just tore open from top to bottom. Jesus' death, Mark's showing us, it opens the way into God's presence. And then come back to Hebrews again. So we were in Hebrews 9. Just jump ahead to Hebrews 10, to the very encouraging verses in verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You can hear Leviticus behind it, can't you? It helps us understand what Jesus has done for us. His death in our place, through Jesus' sacrifice, our sins atoned for. It's taken away. God's righteous anger at our sin is appeased, dealt with. We, we, we don't need to have any guilt any longer when we put our trust in Jesus. It's huge. And so as we read Leviticus, yeah, the Holy Spirit shows us our need for forgiveness. And as we look at the cross of Christ, we see the way God's provided to atone for our sin. You look through Leviticus, it shows us how unworthy we are to approach God and you look at the cross of Christ and you see how God has made it possible for us to have access to him. Being made right with God, it's not something we do. It's something Jesus has done, finished. He is our high priest. He's offered the once for all, the final and complete sacrifice. We don't have to go back to the day of atonement and, re, and redo those things and offer sacrifices again. It's not necessary. If you Google around, try to work out what Jews do these days, I think what they do is, read about the atonement and just pray it makes no sense it points to jesus that's the answer jesus completes it fulfills it finishes it and so by trusting in jesus we can be forgiven our sins are atoned for we can be made at one with god and so as i as i started this morning it, it leaves us a very simple question doesn't it where are you at are you right with god you can't do that yourself you only do that by praying and asking God to forgive you by trusting in what Jesus has done. And so that's why I said, let's finish today by praying this simple prayer. I'll pray. Um, if, you're, if it's your prayer, if you're praying with me, just pray silently in your own heart to God. And if you're someone who's been around church for a little while and you think, yeah, it all makes sense today, please tell someone. Let us help encourage you to keep living for Jesus. But let's pray together. dear God, I am sorry for rebelling against you and living like you don't exist. Thank you for Jesus' sacrifice that atones for my sin. Please forgive me, change me, and help me live for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.